Well, it can't get worse, you have said to yourself, and then it does. I mean, just bad news after bad news. You're so exhausted with stress to the point of despair. So what then do you do? Well, we're looking this morning to see what happened to David, what he did when he reached the end of his rope. Now, in the previous chapter, you, those of you who are here, you may remember David had um, lining up for battle on the side of the Philistines when they told him to go home with his men back to, to the town that was still in Philistia. And what we learned that God, in his providence, provided a, an escape for him, basically saved him from what was a truly a perilous position for him to be in. But then what David and his men returned to is something much worse. His town has been burned. Their families have been carried off in a raid. And indeed, we read, let me read again their reaction to this. Then David and the people, who were 600 men, who were with him, raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. We're told David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. Just imagine being in uh, David's position here. You've got not only the the grief, you know, he's lost his his two wives. So he's got that grief and and the grief of of those whom he's, he's lost there, of everyone. He's also now got the stress of the anger of the men. And they're blaming him for that kidnapping. They're thinking of killing him. That's the state that he's in. Now, it's at this this grievous and this, this perilous moment when something unexpectedly kind of just clicks for David. It changes for him. Something that just revives him. We're told, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And we kind of need to, to back up for a moment and try to capture David's emotional state and see all the more reason why this would have been unusual. In the last time that uh, when I preached on David, it was in chapter 27. And at that time, I was praising him. As a man of honor, he had this code of honor that he could follow because he trusted in God. Well, I didn't have to preach the next chapter in which the very next chapter, he decides he can't handle this anymore. And he goes into the country of the Philistines because he thinks after a while Saul's going to get me. Now, from then on. After chapter 27, in which he's, you know, he speaks of God and how God will uphold him and all. From then on, he doesn't speak of God again. The name is not mentioned. Through all of this time among the Philistines, we have no indication at all of what his relationship with God is. Now, it's doubtful that he actually lost faith in the Lord God. But on the other hand, there's really no indication at all that his walk with God is, is strong. I mean, he's doing some things that really morally, ethically, you have to, it's a question. And, uh, but, but kind of even more to the point is that, is that the writer, Samuel, 
doesn't say anything at all when he's speaking of David about God. It's just gone. Now, there's no doubt that David, you know, like he's going through some hard times, hasn't he? I mean, he, he's, he's wondered when, when his days as a fugitive will ever come to an end. Remember, this is the man who has been promised a throne. You know, the prophet Samuel has come and has anointed him as the next king. And ever since that time, he's been on the run. I mean, that life of just constant pressure and hardship, it takes a toll. We've all felt something like that. You know, you know just know the grind of, of making a living, the, the, the pressures of raising a family, the, 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 how, how wearing it is to always having to be making your, your way through, you know, just the trials of life day after day, year after year. It wears you down. I mean, you don't lose your faith, but you lose the joy that you had in that faith. I mean, you don't you have, don't disbelieve in God. It's just you just don't feel Him anymore. It just doesn't feel His presence at all. I mean, worship if you if you do keep it up, kind of like just going through the motions and, and praying and, and reading the the scriptures. It's just you know, there's just no vitality to it. And then with all of that, the troubles just keep piling up. The, the financial worries, the problems with relationships, you're worried about what's going on just in the world. It just wears you down. And David seems to be in this rut. Now the troubles are piling up quickly and they've reached a crisis point. And it's at this time that most people would have just said, like, I've had it. I've had it with God. I've had it with all this religious baggage. But here, for David, something just clicks. And that faith that had grown stale refreshes itself again. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And so what does he do? He then calls on Abiathar, the, the priest, who has been with David all these years. Remember, David has been keeping him safe from Saul as well. And through Abiathar, he then inquires of the Lord. We're told he asks this question. Shall I pursue after this man? Shall I overtake him? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Now, I tell you, when I, I first read this, I mean, I really thought it odd. In fact, you know, I thought I was in a bind again. You know, here, here's this man. You know, I, I've contrasted David before. You might remember him. And you got Saul, who was a man of indecision. And you got David, who knew always exactly what to do. And here he is. He's sounding like Saul. I mean, I mean, really, guys, I mean, do you really need to ask the Lord, should you go and try to rescue your, your, your wives and your children? Is he being indecisive? Well, indecision has never been, and it's not David's problem now. This is what I think really is happening here, is he's turning a moment of crisis into a, a way to show the confidence that he has before his man, that he will again hear from the Lord. I mean, this is the old David, who believed strongly in his God, who walked closely with his God. And something happened. 
But these men who were ready to stone him are now ready to follow their leader again. Now, as our story unfolds, they are going to catch up. They're going to defeat the raiders. We're going to be told that everything, everyone that they lost will be restored. And indeed, they'll get even more because they're going to capture the spoils uh, that these raiders had gotten from other towns that they had gone. Indeed, he would have so much that David, when this was done, he would go at some point down to some towns in Judah and distribute these spoils uh, to others. And he would say it this way. He'd say, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. See, that's David's talk. Remember how he looked at Goliath and the Philistines? These were enemies of the Lord. He's now got his, his faith. His, he's got his theology back there. But even of more evidence of David's renewed strength in the Lord is how he responds to his own men. Now, in the story, there were 600 uh, men with David. They, they ride off to go rescue their families. But they, somewhere along the way, they get tired. And 200 men, they just can't continue. They're just so exhausted. Well, David says, you know, you wait here by this brook and we'll come back for you. After the battle, they come back. Some of those 400 men who had gone on are saying, well, wait a minute. Why are we sharing with these guys? They didn't come with us. Let me read what they said. Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil which we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. Now, here's how David responds. You shall not do so, my brothers. With what the Lord has given us, he has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as is share, he who is shared who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall all share alike. Listen to David. He talks about what the Lord has given us. Not what we have done, what the Lord has preserved us. The Lord has given to our hand the band that came against us. See, this is David at his strongest and his clearest faith. He knows just what to do, just what to say now that he is strengthened in the Lord his God. So our question for us today is, how do we get there too? How do we get strengthened in the Lord? How do we find strength in God at the times when we are most down? Well, let me give some thoughts here. First of all, it has to do with prayer. You know, when we're depressed, when we're, we're feeling the weight of the world upon us, when we're feeling kind of deep pain of grief, it's often the times that we just drift away from prayer. Why? We, well, we just don't feel like it. It's a burdensome. We, we definitely don't feel like, well, let's just praise God in all circumstances. We don't want to feign how much we, we trust Him when we don't feel that way. You know, think about the prayers that are in the book of Psalms. I mean, the book of Psalms is the, the largest category of prayers. I mean, is, is the largest collection of prayers we have in the Scriptures and the largest category 
of the types of prayers are complaining. They're laments. They are prayers that are pouring out grief and complaints to God. Let me give you an example. This is uh, Psalm 6. It's it's a, a prayer of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. You, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. There's just prayer after prayer like this. And what these prayers are teaching us is this. What God wants from us is honest prayer. Okay? I mean, does he want praise and thanksgiving? Well, yes, he does. But just like us, what he prefers is honesty. Uh, Honesty over going through the emotions of just pretending to have faith that we don't have or, or pretending to give praise that we don't really feel. See, our God, is a, He's a compassionate God. And He wants to hear us express our sorrows, our frustrations, even our anger against Him. Because it's then, it's when we are honest in our emotions that God most intimately will relate to us. I tell you, far worse than expressing our pain and doubts in prayer is just foregoing prayer altogether. It's the same as just cutting off communication with the person who most loves you, who most understands you, wants to be with you, and you're just stiff-arming them because, well, I just got to go through this alone. So if your prayer life has dried up, if you kind of woke up one day and just realize how, how distant you feel from God and then pray. Pray honestly. Even if it's to say to God, look, I don't even feel like praying. But talk to Him. Because in your honesty before God and yourself, you will find how close He has remained to you. You know, I've no doubt, looking at the prayers of David, and it has that section where the men are just weeping and groaning. He's weeping and groaning before his Lord. That is what's happening. So there's prayer. There's also scripture. Open up your Bible. Now, again, it's not uncommon. I mean, all of us. I mean, particularly those of you who have as much much gray or even more than, than I have. You know, you go through life, and there are times in which it's exciting. Your faith is real. And there are those times you just go through dry times. You're just reading the Bible. You, you read for a while. You, you forgot, what was I even read? It becomes dull. Well, keep reading. Just keep at it. You can't find words to strengthen you if you're not going to read them where they're written down. Go to the Psalms. If you're feeling sad, if you're feeling down, or if you're feeling angry, you're going to find the words that will match whatever you're feeling. 
Go to Isaiah. I'll tell you, especially the second half. Well, you want to read language that exalts God, just in, in, and you need to get the feel of how great God is again. Just go there. Just start reading it, reading about how He cares for you, or or go to the Gospels. Just read the words of Jesus. Read the stories in the Bible, or or just go to the the letters of, of Paul and other letters in which they're instructing you in the the glory of God and the hope that you have in the gospel. You know, we actually I don't typically encourage people to do this, but if you're just feeling down and out, just open it up. See where it is. Let the Spirit lead you there. But like prayer, reading the words of God are essential for keeping yourself from becoming distant from Him. It keeps you closer to Him. You know, one, by the way, I'm about to give another one, but in, in, but one I didn't put down, but even already gave an example when, th- this morning. I already went up to the choir this morning. They were singing that beautiful Come to Jesus. And I was telling the story. There was a, a guy up in Philadelphia in my previous church. He started coming to church. So why'd you come? He said, I came to a funeral of a friend that you had at your church. And someone sang that song. And he realized how he had strayed away and he needed to come back. God can speak to us, particularly uh, through music. And then there's that of fellowship. You know, in Hebrews 10, we're told this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And what this writer knows, he knows the positive experience and impact it is of being together, whether it's, whether it's for worship like this, getting together in your small groups, Bible study or prayer, or just even just getting together for fellowship. We're made to need one another. There's a story of a pastor long ago visiting a church member who had not been attending church, and it was wintertime. Two of them were sitting before the fire. It was a coal fire. And the pastor took a poker and he separated one burn, burning ember from the rest of the coals. And it did not take long for that red hot ember to turn cold. Well, the church member got the message. So when we're separated from one another, it's hard to keep up a warm uh, faith in our Lord. God did not make us to flourish in isolation. Never, never uphold anyone who consciously becomes a hermit and separates themselves from everyone else just to be with God. They're violating how God has created us. We need one another. Look, we know we live in a, a new society today. It belittles it even attacks our faith. But even without such pressure, there's a mere task of just living. Working in the world takes its toll. And we can benefit, and all of us take advantage, I hope we do, of listening to, to sermons or music on the radio. Or, you know, now we've got what, podcasts and all these, all these ways of listening, and that's good. But nothing is as supportive. Nothing has as great of an impact. Is being together as we are now. 
Now, all that I've said so far, these things are good practices to keep, and I hope you will keep them. But even then, the way of finding strength in the Lord lies actually more, not so much in doing these, these right things, as it is in turning to the source of our strength. Now, look, David could not have spent, I mean, he, I think he spent some time in prayer there at that moment of crisis. It's not the result of long time period, and particularly while the men are threatening to stone him. I imagine that's got his attention. He doesn't have a Bible with him. And let me, let me read uh, something here real quick to, to help me out. And for fellowship, people he's with want to kill him. So what made the difference for him? Well, I think it, it lay in two things. It lay in his first, his recollection, recollection of, of promises, promises that had already been fulfilled, and then in the promises that he knew would someday be fulfilled. Let me read another example. This is Psalm 59. Here's another lamenting psalm. Each evening, he's, the, uh, the whole psalm so far has just been complaint, complaint about just how terrible. He's got enemies trying to kill him, and, and that's what he's praying about. And he starts to wrap it up this way. He says, each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. And here's the recollection. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. See, he's hopeful of deliverance because he, he's looking back. You know, hey, I've been in times like this before. And what's happened? Every time the Lord has delivered me, he's been my fortress. He's been my refuge. He's been my strength. And if God has been faithful in the past, I can trust him. David can trust him for the present. And you note here, he refers to the Lord as his strength. Great is the Lord's faithfulness that David can attest to by personal experience. And can't we do the same? I mean, can you not look over your lives and you see how God has come through for you time and again? How the, the, the very times in which it, it appeared that he was not answering your prayers, the result was that actually it all ended up even better than if he had answered your prayers. How the, the crisis proved not to be a crisis, but it actually even turned into an opportunity for greater blessing. Think of those things. Do not such thoughts strengthen you in the Lord. But now David is a good Israelite, and a good Israelite looked back not only to personal experience, they looked back to that event that had happened centuries earlier. They looked at the event of the exodus from Egypt. That is what they looked back, and all those miracles that happened, uh, that accompanied it, and the, the settling into the promised land. That was the central cause for an Israelite, for a Jew, 
even now, to believe that God holds Israel close to his heart. And they also look to the covenant that was made with Abraham. And that was ratified with Isaac and and Jacob. They look to the covenant that was made through Moses. And they believe because of that covenant that they belong to God. And that whatever took place, God would see them through this. And us. Do we not have a greater exodus to look back on? The deliverance from sin and death that took place on the cross by, by our Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, we even told in Hebrews, look, saying, we have a better covenant. We have a covenant that was mediated by no less than Jesus Christ, the Son. Does God, do you ever feel like God has abandoned you? Look to the cross. And you ask God, how, ask how God would abandon those for whom his Son has died. Will not God then save us through our present trial? If he's paid such a cost to send his son to die for us while we were his enemies, what will he not do now that we have been reconciled to him in Christ Jesus? As the Apostle Paul eloquently expressed our confidence, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so when you're in despair, when when in fear, look Look to the cross and be strengthened in the Lord. And then there's the promises that have been fulfilled. There's the promise yet to be fulfilled. And no doubt David looked to those. You know, there's one other time in which this term of, of being strengthened in the Lord occurs in 1 Samuel. It's, it's, John, it's when Jonathan had come to David. David was in hiding from, his, from Saul. We're told Jonathan comes to him. David was in the wilderness of Zephyr Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. How did he do that? He said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. But Jonathan got it half right. He would not be with David. But then God had not promised, had not made a covenant uh, with Jonathan. The covenant, the promise, had been made with David. Both men could count on that. David could count on that. And we have not been anointed by a prophet, but we have been even given even greater assurance of promises to be fulfilled for us. Let me listen listen to just one assurance that we are given. And this is by a disciple of Jesus who once disowned his Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's your assurance. And does does not this assurance of your destination, doesn't it strengthen you in the Lord? In Christ you have an inheritance of eternal glory. Nothing can happen to lose that glory, that inheritance. Nothing's going to happen to the inheritance. Nothing's going to happen to you. And even the trials that you're going through, they are but working to prepare you and to strengthen your faith in that inheritance. And so be strengthened in the Lord. He is a keeper of his promises. And he remains faithful to the end. We give you praise, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who came because of the promise made that the Messiah would come for us. The one who has fulfilled all the work necessary for our salvation. Who has earned that salvation for us. For those who would just hold on to him and believe in him. We thank you for that promise. Still to be fulfilled yet is assured to us. You are a faithful God. If we would but just turn to you, just turn to you, you will take us into your hands and you will never, never let us go. For you are a God of all strength and of all mercy. In Christ's name, amen. Let us stand.